It's great to be here today, and um, thank you for accommodating my rather strange idea that we sit around tables. It seemed right to continue the kind of community feel we had yesterday. Some opening words from the book of the Song of Solomon. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of this day. And yet, even as we thank you, we need to be honest with you. As we meet today, some may feel a little weary after the preparations, and then the excitement, and then the exertion of celebration. Some may feel a little jaded, having perhaps consumed a little more than was wise. Some may feel a little empty now that all the fuss is over, the gifts unwrapped, and the visitors gone home. However we feel, you welcome us in love and delight in our worship. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of grace. And yes, even as we thank you, we need to be honest with you. As we meet today, some may feel frustrated after their endeavours, angry with others, or even bitter about celebrations. Some may feel a little miffed at the way things worked out. Some may be sinking into self-pity now that the fuss is over, the gifts unwrapped and the visitors gone. However we feel, you freely forgive our selfishness and offer us love. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of faith. Yet, as we thank you, we also need to be honest with you. As we meet today, some may be feeling sorely tested by the trials of life or events in a disordered world. Some may find that they have more questions than answers. And some may be so certain that their capacity to grow is stifled. However we feel, you welcome us and you come alongside us in love. Loving God, as we thank you for life, for forgiveness and for faith, 
We dare to ask that you will speak to us in this hour to encourage us all as we step into the future, knowing that you are beside us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have two Bible readings this morning about the story of Stephen. And the first is slightly different from what is listed on the sheet. I sent through the wrong verse numbers. So from Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will return this responsibility to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from among members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirits by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. We, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. And then from Acts chapter 7. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes 
at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, for those of you who are old enough, I wonder if you can remember the last time that Boxing Day fell on a Sunday. I wonder what you were doing on that day. I know where I was, and I know what I was doing. I was leading worship in Hugglescote at my old church, and it was exactly a week since we had been forced to close our building because the gas supply was dangerously unsafe. We joined together with a local Anglican church for a united service arranged at very short notice, it has to be said. And one of the similarities, I think, between the Church of England and the Church of Scotland, as I have experienced it so far, is that their ministers are a bit on the last minute in their preparation. So, subject to a few slight alterations, we had the service that I had prepared earlier in good Blue Peter fashion. And I have to confess, some of the bits that we have today are from that service. As I reflected on the events that have brought us together and on the story of Stephen, I offered an unscripted comment that things were already moving on from Christmas and the news had just come in of an earthquake in the Far East. Of course, by the time I got home that day, it had progressed to a full-blown tsunami. And I guess those of us who are old enough to remember can still, in our mind's eye, see the images of that terrible day. Six years on, some of the world's poorest people are still picking up the pieces from those events. And from countless others, there have been earthquakes and floods and famines and disease across the world. It's a fact that as we celebrate Christmas with all the hope it brings us, We are still in the now and not yet of God's kingdom. Suffering, disease and disaster are still part of our world. When I was preparing today for today's service, I found myself a bit torn as to what I should speak about. It's still the holiday season and I don't want to spoil that. But it's also the last time I'm going to speak here for quite some time. And I do feel a sense of responsibility for what I choose to say. So what should I say that combines the hope and joy of Christmas with the reality of what lies ahead of each one of us? The story of Stephen is a very stark contrast to the happiness of yesterday. But I suspect in some way it reflects the reality of life as we experience it. Though hopefully for us not in such extreme ways as Stephen did, or indeed the people of the Far East following the tsunami. We know very little about the biblical St. Stephen. What we have is gleaned from these few verses in the book of Acts. He was a Greek, a convert to the way of Jesus, and one of seven people chosen as deacons to oversee the practical care of widows in the Jerusalem congregation. Put simply, Stephen started out as a waiter for God, somebody doing practical tasks. 
He was also a man of great faith and wisdom, and his witness stirred up opposition with the religious authorities. He was summoned before the court, where he spoke up fearlessly and knowledgeably about Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and David, and then about Jesus. And that so angered people, they dragged him outside the city and stoned him to death. A particularly cruel and brutal end. But right to the end, Stephen remained true to his word. He emulated Jesus as he prayed that his executors would be forgiven. I find that absolutely incredible. Stephen is often described as the first Christian martyr. And it's a word that we've come to associate with people who die for causes they believe in. And it's a word that has become abused in recent years as suicide bombers term themselves martyrs. I'm sorry, they're not. And sometimes it gets used to describe those people who don't often tell you how they're suffering. We all know people who uh, are martyrs in a kind of pejorative sense. They talk about every ache and pain and everything that's going wrong in their world. That's not a martyr either. The word martyr means a witness. Perhaps a bit like our practice of calling people into courts to say what they saw, what they heard. We've heard a lot about witnesses on the television recently, haven't we, with the perjury trial on the other side of the country. People who say what they saw or heard. Sometimes people are called to be character witnesses. I was once called as a character witness for the son of somebody in my church who'd got himself into a horrible muddle and into trouble with the law. But he was basically a decent guy. So I was asked to go and share my experiences of him. Put simply, a Christian martyr is a person who tells the story of what it means for them to live as a disciple of Jesus. And I can't help feeling that one of the things we all can do and all should do is to be witnesses to what it is we believe. Now, that can seem quite scary, and I used to worry about it terribly, thinking it meant I had to talk about Jesus all the time, and I had to ask people hard questions all the time. But, you know, I don't think, actually, it does mean that. I think who we are and how we behave says at least as much if not more than our words. When I lived in Warrington, we had a street corner preacher who I am convinced was very well-intentioned. But he would stand on the corner, outside one of the Anglican churches, who I'm sure loved him not a lot, but he would stand outside their church with his big Bible and say, you're all going to hell unless, in a really angry voice. And all the Christians used to walk past like this, And, you know, for all his good intentions and all his concern, he was actually driving people away from the kingdom rather than drawing them into the kingdom. So how do we be witnesses to Jesus? How do we tell other people about what it is we believe? Would you remember the start of that story where Stephen got served chosen to serve up dinner to elderly women who had no families to look after them. That was a witness. A witness that said to these elderly women, God loves you and God cares about your practical needs. 
And then as the story went on, he was able to talk to people, even important people, about his faith. But his words and his deeds fitted together. And it seems to me that's really important. Stephen was wholehearted in his faith. It affected his ordinary life. He longed to bring glory to God in what he said and what he did, but he didn't kind of badger people. He took the opportunities that came up and made the most of them. And surely to serve dinner well honours God as much as to preach well. I'm very glad that nobody is going to drag me or any of you off in front of the courts because of what we believe. But we all have challenges, don't we, in our lives, whether it's in church or whether it's in the ordinary everyday. It's not always easy to to be sort of witnesses to what we believe. I know that's true. We already, together and individually, know some of the challenges we've got in the coming months. But we also know that there's probably some lurking around the corner that we haven't seen yet, because that's what real life is like. Yesterday, we were celebrating the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that celebration anticipates the last thing that Jesus said to his followers, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. And I think that's a promise for us today and tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow and so on into the future. I am with you always, says Jesus, to the very end of the age. My prayer for each one of you and for me, for us as a church and for the other churches of which our visitors are a part is that whatever the coming year brings us, which might be joy and might be sorrow, might be laughter and might be tears, that we will continue to witness to the one in whom our faith is located. As we remember the stories around Boxing Day or St Stephen's Day, which hold together practical service and faith in Christ. Here and now, today, we have an opportunity to renew our commitment to him, and to seek that everything we do and say and are in the months ahead will bring glory to God. With the song of the angels still ringing in our ears, with the warm glow of Christmas festivities still fresh, this is the place, and this is the time once more to dedicate our lives to Christ and to be his church, because we are called to be God's people. And now, we, one of the reasons we are sitting around tables is I decided to do something a bit wacky because it's still the holiday season and I haven't done anything too wacky for a while. When you came in, you should have found one of these. We're actually going to make our own Christmas box, but this is going to be part of our prayers. So what I'm going to invite you to do first is to turn it over, so it's back to front, and there are some pencils on most of the tables. If you want to move it here, then you'll be able to reach pencils and things. And I'm going to make some suggestions 
as to what you might like to mark on there by way of prayer topics. You might like to write a word or a phrase, or you might simply prefer to draw a symbol. That's fine. But if you have uh, a pencil, uh, there should be available. Can I invite you, first of all, to write or symbolise something that you would pray for yourself for the year ahead? And then something that you would like to pray for a family member, a relative, somebody very close to your own personal world. And then moving out a little further, something you would like to pray for a friend or a neighbour. And then something you would like to pray for this church, if it is your regular place of worship, or your own church, if that is somewhere else. Moving a little further again, something for this city, or the city, town, or village where you live. And then lastly, which probably doesn't come as a surprise, something for the world or a part of the world that matters to you, that is on your heart. And then comes the fiddly bit where you make your box. You should find on the sources there are some little sticky bits that can be used to stick the tabs. Um, some sellotapey things. If somebody finds it a bit tricky, maybe a neighbour can help you. But we fold up and stick our boxes together that contain the prayers we have made. Now, don't stick your lids shut. That's the only thing I'm going to say. Oh, Oh, dear. The lid's the bit that says Hillhead Baptist Church Christmas box. Well, that was was the plan anyway. As long as you've got it still openable, that's quite useful. Once you have completed making your box, then can I invite you to take a gold coin and place it inside your box. I know not everybody's quite got there yet. As and when you get there, if you could place one of the gold coins inside your box. (laughs) Sorry? Well, it's up to you whether you see it. It depends whether you want to be able to get the gold coin out again or not. The wise 
probably men, but I like to think of them as persons, brought gold as one of their gifts to Jesus. Gold was a sign of a king. Obviously, the gold coins have got chocolate inside them, and for those who like chocolate, when you get it home, you can eat the chocolate. Those who don't like chocolate can maybe give it to somebody else. But it seems that gold in there is a sign of of hope, a sign of promise, that somehow those prayers that we have written in the box are accepted to God, and God will answer in God's time and in God's way, and that we will be invited in some measure to share in the answering of those prayers. Because part of the mystery of who God is and how God works is that God trusts things to humans to be accomplished. I think we're mostly about there. One or two people are finishing off, which is fine. But let's gather those prayers together now as we join in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And can I invite you to say that in whatever form and whatever language would be natural for you. We pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. And the Celtic blessing. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of God's hand. Amen.